Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey, Connect. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris, get to serve on the team here, and I'm thrilled that you decided to join us today. As we get started, I want to ask you a question, and you can just, you know, participate by raising your hand if this is true of you. Have you ever felt like you don't belong? It, yeah, it could have been uh, maybe you were at camp as a kid and you f- started to feel a little homesick. Maybe it was around the lunch table in high school and you were excluded from that group of people. Maybe it was at work. You got a new job, you started, and you were hoping to make some friends at work, but you just feel like an outsider. Have you ever felt like you don't belong? Go ahead, raise them up, let's be proud. Yeah, I don't want to like move past this moment too quickly. I just learned a lot about this room. This side is honest and this side's liars. <laughs> or they need to start listening, I don't know. Truth be told, I I felt that way in a time when I I least expected it. I had just come out of an incredible season. I graduated from CCU, experienced really cool community. And I was starting my first pastoral ministry position in a church in town. I shared about that experience a little bit last week. I'm going to look at it from a slightly different angle here. And when I showed up that first day to be introduced to the church, I couldn't wait to meet the students because they're the ones I was going to be serving. I couldn't wait to meet the congregation. That's who I was going to be doing life with. And when I got there, the the students were skeptical, to say the least. And the, the congregation was nice. They were polite. But I wasn't really included in the conversations before and after service. I, uh, that week, I met my youth team. And I was excited to meet them, too. I'm like, this is great. Like, we're going to, like, link arms. We're going to do ministry together. And... They were polite as well, but it was very clear they missed the old guy. They, they wanted their old youth pastor back. And he sounded like a great guy. Like, I don't blame him. When I showed up to staff meeting that week, staff was welcoming, but it was clear that I was the new guy. Now, I know that building community takes time. It just takes time. So I was like, all right. Just, I'm just going to be intentional. I'm going to try to start some conversations, build some relationships, and you know, a few months from now, we'll have some community. Well, as time went on, that community didn't materialize for me. In fact, I was months into the role, and I felt like an outsider in an insider's role. And it, it feels bad even saying it now, but like, that last day on the job was one of the best days of my life. Seriously, I dreamed of it, and then it happened, and it was glorious. I felt free. I could go pick what church I wanted to be a part of, the community I wanted to be a part of. And that's just not how the church should be, but that was my experience. Have you ever felt like you don't belong? Because I felt it, and God's people have felt it before too. In fact, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a time in Israel's history when the people of God definitely could relate with being homesick, alienated, an outsider, strangers in a foreign land. They were in a, in a season where they definitely didn't belong. And we're going to take a look at that together today. 
It's called the exile, and Ezekiel was a prophet who spoke to God's people during this time. So if you've got a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to look at a good portion of that in our time together in just a sec. Ezekiel, if you haven't read Ezekiel before, I get it. That makes sense. It's not like typically the initial go-to book, but it's about a little over halfway through your Bible. So if you open it up, it's a little over halfway. And it's, again, written by Ezekiel, a prophet, to God's people when they were in exile in Babylon. If you need a Bible, we got Bibles in the back. You also can follow along and take notes in the app. Now, why were the Israelites in exile in Babylon? You know, it It's a long story, but we've been tracking with this story for a little bit of time now, so I'm going to try to briefly summarize it for us. And it all started way back in the very beginning, where God created humanity to experience a relationship with him and relationship with one another. It was good. It was perfect. But sin broke what God made good, and that relationship that humanity was supposed to experience with God was severed. Disconnection. There's a gap. It also impacted relationship with one another as well. That's why there's hurt, there's pain, there's heartache in our relationships. Well, God in his goodness called a people to himself. He called Abraham and he said, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing for all nations. I know you don't have any kids, but I'm gonna give you a kid. And from that kid, that son is gonna be a whole family, generations upon generations, the whole nation will come. That nation is the nation of Israel. And that, those people, they eventually found themselves enslaved in Egypt under a foreign regime, but God freed his people and then he taught them how to live in relationship with him, in relationship with others. He did that by giving them the law. Well, eventually God led his people to the promised land. Where this was their land. This was their place. So they, they, he victoriously leads them in battle. They take the land, and things are good. But then they want a king, so they can be like all the other nations. And they had many kings, king after king after king. And if you were to flip through that portion of Scripture, there's a phrase that you would often read where it says, the kings did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And as goes the leader, so goes the people. So Israel kept disobeying God and dishonoring him. And idolatry started to take root and spring up all across the nation. And God couldn't have any of this. So his people found themselves in exile. But that's not just how it happened. I mean, through, through, the, whole, through the whole story, not just what we've covered thus far, but the whole story, what scripture accounts for, there's a repeated theme about God's character. And the theme is this, it's in Psalm 103.8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. At this time in Israel's history, God demonstrated his character to his people by sending prophet after prophet after prophet, telling the king, telling the people, hey, Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your wicked ways. If you don't, a foreign nation is going to conquer you and then take you captive. So you've got to turn from your wicked ways. But they didn't. So God did what he said would happen. And in 722 BC, the northern part of Israel, which was known as Israel, they were conquered by the Assyrians. And it all got kind of meshed and mixed up together. 
they lost a lot of their identity as the Israelites. And then in 587 BC, Babylon came and took the southern part of the, the land, which was known as Judah, and they took all the people there back to Babylon where they were held captive. And that's where we're gonna pick up the story because God's people did not belong in Babylon, but they found themselves in Babylon. They found themselves in a place where they didn't belong. And as we look at how God interacted with his people in that time, my hope, my prayer is that God will speak to us as to how he wants to intersect our story when we find ourselves alienated, outsiders, feeling like we don't belong to. But before we get into the text, let's do this. Let's pause, let's pray, and ask to hear from God now. Lord, we come before you. We want to hear from you. We know that you have been moving through history. Your word records this for us, and we want to, we want to see how you want to move in our lives now, here and now. So would you reveal yourself to us? Would you speak to us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before inspiring his people with a promise, God reminded his people of the problem, what got them in, into exile in the first place. And this is how we're, we're going to pick it up. So Ezekiel 36, we're going to start in verses 16 through 19. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct in their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanliness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. All right, ha having been married for 10 years, about 10 years, 10 years this summer, I've learned something. In conflict, you don't bring up that time of the month. You just don't do it. You've made the mistake too? Okay, just don't do that. But God went there. God went there. He went there not because he has something against women. God created women. God loves women. God brought up menstruation because in scripture, menstruation is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for pollution or uncleanliness or contamination. And God is not disgusted with women. God is disgusted with sin. And he wanted his people to get their mind around that. How was Israel contaminated, polluted? Well, they failed to uphold their side of the relationship. If you've been with us for this series, you remember that when God freed his people from Egypt, he then gave them the law. This rules to live by. This is what it looks like to have a healthy relationship with you know, them and God and them and others. Well, Israel failed to do what God told them to do. The law begins with the Ten Commandments. If you, if you have a Bible, flip to Exodus 20 real quick. In Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4, the Ten Commandments begin. The law begins. The, the way Israel is supposed to live begins like this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or the waters below. And then back in Ezekiel 36, we read that Israel did exactly what God said not to do. Listen to this, verse 18. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. 
Israel slid into idol worship. And thus, they were being judged by God. That's why they were in exile. It wasn't like Israel set out one day and said, you know what? We're just gonna, we're just gonna worship foreign gods. We're just gonna go there. It was just this slow slide. They married foreign wives. Those wives introduced them to foreign gods. And then before you, they knew it, like there were altars and idols everywhere. And they were worshiping these false gods. The very thing God said, not to do. Now, when we hear this word idol today, if you're anything like me, you think like a little little statue or ancient religious practices, and that can be a form of idolatry. But truth be told, we're as susceptible to idolatry today as they were back then. It just might look a little different. Tim Keller is an author and pastor based in New York City, and he's really helped me understand that an idol can be anything, because an idol is anything that is more important to us than God. An idol is a good thing that we place as a God thing in our lives. If, if it has our heart, if it captivates our mind, if we can't imagine living life without it and it's not God, there's a real good chance it's an idol. Now, in New England, where I grew up, one of the idols is sports. Boston is a sports town. The sports teams are great. I mean, pick, pick your team. Pick your sport, and there are diehard fans, diehard Red Sox fans, diehard Celtics fans, diehard Bruins fans, diehard Patriots fans. And they have been rewarded. They've been rewarded over the last couple decades. Each of those teams have won multiple championships. I was spoiled growing up as a sports fan in New England. And what has taken root is something much deeper than just fandom. And I know that like here in Denver, we never have this problem. So I'm just gonna point my finger at them, okay? We never, we, we don't, we don't wear orange or anything. So here's what it looked like. One, uh, one day, I don't know, several years ago now, I got to go to my first Patriots game with my dad. And we show up at Gillette Stadium and I was just in awe. Um, I think we've got a picture of it. If we don't, I'll just describe it to you. I mean, stadium, People packed going in, red and silver and navy. Everyone's decked out. Everyone's ready for the game. It's the, it was the season opener. The previous season, the Patriots had won the Super Bowl. Everyone was pumped. And I get in there and I'm like, this is the biggest stadium I had been in at the time. Probably still the biggest stadium I've been in. And I was just like, whoa. 65,000 people decked out in our team's colors and just going crazy. You would have thought that, a, that God came down to earth when Tom Brady jogged onto the field. You would have. Because the only thing louder than the sound system was the 65,000 fans. My ears were ringing for days afterwards. And I remember during the game, turning to my dad and saying, I now know exactly what many in our country worship. So, if someone were to look at your life, what would they say you worship? What's the story that your life is telling? Is it powder days? Because when you skip work or church for first tracks, it tells a story. Is it your kids? Because when all your money goes to pay for their activities, your life is telling a story. Is it entertainment? When the TV is front and center in your home, 
and central to everything your family does, it tells a story. Is it achievement? Because when you hustle to get that, that one more job, promotion, car, whatever the next thing is, when you hustle and hustle and hustle for that thing, your life's telling a story. Is it health and fitness? Because when you are fixated on the food you eat or the number of muscle-ups you can do, your life is telling a story. So, is your life telling the story that you want your life to tell? More importantly, is your life telling the story that God wants your life to tell? The honest answer for the Israelites was no. No! They had succumbed to idolatry. They slid right into it. And as a result, they were displaced, cast out of their land, and they were foreigners in a land that was not their own. The warning for us being, don't take a good thing and make it a God thing. Don't take a good thing and make it a God thing. Because when we do, our worship is distorted and our sense of belonging is lost, as evidenced by the Israelite story. Ezekiel 36 continues in verse 20 and following. It says this, And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said to them, These are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. God's intent for his people was that they would represent him to the other nations, that, that they would see, the other nations would see how Israel relates with God and with others, and they'd want that kind of a relationship themselves. But because Israel misrepresented God to these other nations, the other nations misunderstood God. They figure, well, Israel's God's not all that powerful. Israel's been abandoned by their God. I don't want anything to do with that God. But God's holy name will not be profaned. So even amidst Israel's depravity, God said he was going to act sovereignly. And here's God's word to his people when they were in a place where they didn't belong. This is where we start to enter into the promise. Verse 22 through 23 and following. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. On the front end, God's like, hey, I want you to be crystal clear about what's, what's going to happen here, what I'm about to say I'm going to do, and what I'm going to do, it has nothing to do with you. Because your actions, your actions got you in this the first place. Oh no, I'm going to act sovereignly, the Lord says, and I'm going to do it so that you and everyone else knows who God is, who he truly is, how great he is, how glorious he is, how holy he is. So that's God's plan. Continuing in verse 24, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart uh, and a new, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I give your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanliness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land was laid waste, has become like the Garden of Eden. Remember the Garden of Eden where it was perfect and all was good? It's going to be like that. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. God is going to rebuild everything that their sin tore down. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Once again, I will yield to Israel's plea and do this for them. I will make their people as numerous as sheep, as numerous as the flocks for offerings at Jerusalem during her appointed festivals. So will be the ruined cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. God promised to do this, to restore his people for his renown. They, they had been scattered, but God was going to gather them. They had been polluted by idolatry, but God was going to cleanse them. They had been hard-hearted, and yet God was going to transform their heart and give them a soft heart. God promised to do this to his people. Why? Why was he going to do this for them? It has nothing to do with what they were going to do. Their actions are what got them in, into exile in the first place. No, no, no. God was going to do this because of who he is. And God wanted Israel and the surrounding nations to know that he is God. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is alone worthy of worship. Now, as God promised this to the Israelites, God has offered the same to us in Jesus. You see, Jesus gathers us. Jesus cleanses us of our sin, and Jesus transforms our hearts. Not because of anything we do, but because of who he is. He is merciful. And while our sin deserves death, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will receive eternal life. That's the, the hope that we have. That's the promise that we get to latch onto. And when God redeems and when he, God restores us, like what God said to the Israelites, may we detest our sin. Verse 31, again, it said, then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. When God redeems and restores us, that's not a free pass to walk right back into sin. 
Repentance is turning from that sin, receiving Jesus' forgiveness and following Jesus. Because whoever follows Jesus finds life. And that's what we are called to. Because he is the one that we worship. God alone has our heart. God alone deserves our devotion. God alone is worthy of our worship. And our God is sovereign. That's a churchy word that means God is overall. He's in control overall. And being sovereign, God's purposes are going to prevail even when we as his people fail. How good? That is good news. Because if you're anything like me, you fail a lot. And you need God to still accomplish good even when you're bad, when I'm bad. When our sin broke, God rebuilds. What we separated, he reconnects. This is the good news. This is the hope that we hold to. This is the news that we share. God's sovereignty trumps our depravity. God's sovereignty, he's overall, and he will accomplish good even though we fall short, even though we're depraved or sinful. God promises to the Israelites, you will be my people and I will be your God. God reminded the Israelites of this core truth when they needed it most. When they had slipped into sin, when they had lost their way, when they were strangers in a land that was not their own, God reminded his people, you are my people and I will be your God. God reminded them of who they are because of whose they are. You will be my people and I will be your God. And some of us, some of us need to be reminded of the exact same thing today because we've slipped into sin. We've lost our way and we feel like we don't belong. And if that's you, let God's word speak to you. You will be my people and I will be your God. Church, our identity is anchored in our relationship with God. Our belonging is found in relationship with God's people, his family, the church. Our purpose is expressed through making God known. Church, we are the people of God. We are the people of God. We won't bow to idols. We're gonna stand strong and worship the one true God, which means we're gonna do crazy things like, like not worship sports in skiing, in family, in entertainment, in health, because even though they're good things, no thing will become a God thing for us. God alone is God. God alone deserves our praise because we are more than Coloradans. We are Christians and being Christians means that we're gonna prioritize worship as a church. We head to the mountains on Saturday. We enjoy it all on Saturday because we're coming together for worship on Sunday. We, we protect our time with our community group. We say no to that opportunity or that activity because we already said yes to community. We make known the God we know. We pray for one. We bless the one far from God because God has blessed us tremendously. It should overflow from us. And you're, you're like, oh, you know, Chris, no one actually lives that way. Like, that's weird. Are you ready? Because it's coming. No kidding, that's weird. No kidding. We're just like the Israelites for far too long. You know what we've done? We tried to look like everyone else. And when we try to look like everyone else, we worship what everyone else worships. And we're not supposed to. We're not people of this world. We're the people of God. Our relationship, our identity is grounded in our relationship with God. Our belonging is found with God's people. And our purpose is found in making God known. 
We are the people of God. So yeah, we look different than the rest of the world. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to look different. If we look like the world, there's something wrong with us. But we, we are the people of God. We're not better than others. We just worship someone different than others. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who always will be. We worship the God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's the God we worship. And because we worship our God, we don't worship other things. We're different. We're distinct. And this is all possible because of Jesus, the one who came to free the captives, to gather the outcasts, to send the saved. If you're here and you're like, you know, I don't feel like I belong. I get it. I've been there. And I want to invite you to join us and be part of this family. Because there's always a seat for you at Jesus' table. Always a seat for you at Jesus' table. While my experience was feeling excluded from a church in the past, my hope, my prayer is that you feel like you can belong with us in the present. We're not perfect, so if you're looking for perfect people, you might want to go somewhere else. But you're still not going to find it there either. We're all broken. We're all messed up. But we're all seeking Jesus together, and we'd love for you to do the same with us. And coming like this on Sundays, yeah, it's great. We love it. But what's better is actually circling up in a home throughout the week. Because circles can know like Rose can't know. Looking out, I know many of you a little bit. I wish I could know all of you and like know your story and celebrate the highs with you and mourn the lows and, and we'll do that some. But the reality is even a church our size, I can't do that perfectly. But that's okay. Because God's plan to satisfy your longing for belonging isn't a pastor, it's the church. So if you've been looking for community, if you've been looking to make some friends, if you've been looking for a, a group of people you can grow in your faith with, you should join a community group. Not, not tomorrow, like today. You should talk to someone today about joining a group where you can come together, talk about the passage that we talk about on Sundays, encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another, celebrate together, mourn together, all of it together. And if you're looking to get in a group, you, you know, you can look on the app. You can send a, a leader an email pretty easily there. But what's even better is just talk to anyone with a name tag here. We're all in groups. We're all doing life together because we love one another. and We want to grow together. and We're not in this alone. Many of us have tried following Jesus alone, and we just know that's not his plan. So we're doing it together, and we'd love for you to be a part. Now, if you have found belonging with us here, now you got to go out there. you got to go make God known because as the people of God, we connect with Jesus through services like this. We connect with people through community group, and we connect people with Jesus through blessing the one far from God. We begin in prayer. We listen. We eat. We serve. We share as just tangible ways to show others that Jesus loves them. And his love is being expressed through us to them. This week, just real quick, what that looked like for me, it wasn't all that complicated. I was playing pickleball on Friday, and I listened to two different people. One person opened up to me about a divorce they're going through and how that's been really hard on, on him and his kids. It's been hard because he hasn't been able to work through it, and it's just, it's a, there's a lot going on there. Just after that conversation, I met a gal for the first time, 
and we started talking and the conversation went way faster than I'm used to. And she started sharing why she left Mormonism two years ago. She felt lied to. She felt like her and her family were shamed for their sin and she didn't want anything to do with it. So she just walked out. I got to listen to both of them, relational hurt, religious hurt. And you know what? I honestly didn't say a thing. It didn't make sense in the moment. They needed to be heard right then. It was very evident to me. So I just asked questions. I listened. And I'm going to build a relationship with them. And I'm praying that they will experience God's love through me because God loves them way more than anyone in this world ever will. He loves them deeply and he wants a relationship with them. And for whatever reason, he's put me in their path and I'm going to love them as an overflow of the, the love that God has for me. Because that's why we love. We love because God first loved us. So here's what we learned today. We're displaced when good things become God things. But when God is our everything, we are right where we belong. Let me pray for us. God, we need your help in this. We need your spirit to work in us because left to our own devices, we're, we're tempted and, and we act on the temptation to worship other things, even good things, blessings that you've given us. But we, may we not worship the gift, may we worship you, the giver of the gift. We thank you for the beautiful state we live in. We thank you for the beautiful families you've blessed us with. We thank you for all of these blessings. And yet we, we ask that, that you alone will be Lord of our life, that you will be on the throne of our heart and that we will praise you in you alone. So work in us towards that end. We need you, Jesus. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. And we praise you that you wash us clean, that even when we blow it and we have worshiped other things, you forgive us. Your death on the cross covered our sin. We're so grateful for that. In your name, I pray, amen.